Hey, it's William Nylander. Welcome to Stockholm, uh, home of the NHL uh, media tour, European media tour. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually, that's actually a lot of ways. That's Let's actually do that. Let's use that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, William Nylander. We'll hear more from you in a couple of moments, and we'll talk plenty about you in a couple of moments. But Elliot, as we bring everybody aboard once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, in Stockholm, by the way, Sweden, for the NHL European Players Tour. The big news happens back in Canada as Austin Matthews signs an extension. Four years, 13.25 is the AAV. There is a new top salary dog in the NHL. By $625,000 a year. Congratulations to Austin Matthews on finally being able to afford a house in Toronto. <laughs> he can move out of his rental property. <laughs> Can move out of his one-bedroom condo <laughs> with a stand-up shower and a toilet right next to it and actually afford a home in mm. Toronto. I think a couple of things here. Number one, I had heard that the Maple Leafs were trying to push for as much term as they could get. You had wondered about five. I think they were hoping to get to five. Mm -hmm. Now... If you've listened to this pod over the last few months, you know that my feeling has been it was going to be a three to five year deal. I didn't know it was going to be four, but I thought it was three to going to be three to five. And I think the thing was going to be is could the Maple Leafs convince Matthews to sign for five years? But this was the term that I really believed was going to be the the answer: three to five years. We end up at four. You know, the other thing I heard was if it was a four or five year deal. Like, I always believed this was going to be the new highest AAV in the NHL, which it is. Over Nathan McKinnon, by the way, for those that don't know, 12.6. But the thing I'd also heard, Jeff, is that from the beginning, it wasn't going to pass Nathan McKinnon by the skin of an onion. Like, it wasn't going to be 12.634. So Connor McDavid is 12.5, Nathan McKinnon 12.6. This wasn't going to be 12.7. Or 12.634. Like, it wasn't going to be something like that. It was going to be a significantly larger number. The 3.4 is, 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 is a Judd Moldaver touch. Very, well, very, very nice. Touch, very yes. nice. But 13.25 is the number, so it's the highest AAV. You know, one of the things about Matthews, and like, I do think Matthews is figuring it out no question about it i think he consistently becomes a better player i'm a matthews fan and i think he will only get better and better as he ages but one of the things i think matthews will go down for in addition to whatever he does on the ice is he is going to change the way contracts are done in the nhl this is normal in the nba short-term big number lebron james has done it Many, many, many times. He is going to change the way this is done in the NHL. I, I, I'm glad you got us there as early as you did because what I do wonder is I wonder if there are some big name players that have locked into longer term deals and guaranteed money, albeit high, who now look at the Matthews strategy for contracts and say, hmm, maybe I should have done that. I was talking to a player in July, a good NHL player. And he asked me, what did I think Matthews was going to sign for? And I said the same thing I said on this podcast all the time. Three to five years between 13 and 14 million. And his comment, he thought about it for a while. 
And then later on, you know, he said to me, in his position, he didn't think that he was in a spot to do that, but he thinks more players will. Now, we're in a situation now, Jeff, where everyone thinks the cap is going up next year. So, you know, we're going to talk about the Hagel deal and what... It's a pretty good indication that the yes. cap is going up. If you And, and what, what everybody thinks that means... Look, they're expecting the cap to go up by four million next year and maybe five million the year after. I think there's going to be some players who look at it and say, All right, do I still go short? Because I think it's going to be even more than that. Like Matthews did this because I think he wants to sign one more deal when he's 30 years old and figures out yeah. again where he feels at that point in time. I just think that more and more players are going to start looking at this and saying, yeah, I like that. The thing, though, is you're talking about the top, top players. Like, I look at someone like Troy Terry for Anaheim, Mm -hmm. and I say, okay, that one was really close to going to arbitration. Anaheim all of a sudden showed up with that seven times seven. Like, I think that Troy Terry can make more than that eventually, and Troy Terry probably feels with the cap going up that he could make more than that. Eventually he probably looks at it and says, you know what? If I get injured and I've turned down seven times seven, am I doing right for my family? I'm not at that Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, uh, Nathan McKinnon level. So I'm going to lock in for term. Like what I'm wondering about here, Elliot, more than anything else is, are we just talking about the top guys because I can still see that tier beneath the top guys looking for term. Yeah. Those seven to nine million dollar players that are saying, listen, if I can get that and I can set my family up for the rest of our lives, I owe it to them to take it. I can't do that three year deal, four year deal gamble where Austin Matthews, maybe Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, all these guys can does that make sense to you yeah absolutely it does and i think you have to be comfortable gambling on yourself like if somebody's going to hand you is like you said a 50 million dollar contract it takes a lot to say you know what i'm going to take a little bit less and not have security of that and then gamble again i think the other thing too and i should have mentioned this the slight difference between the nba and the nhl is i think the risk of injury in the nhl is going to be greater always even though it's not as physical a game as it used to be doesn't matter it's still running around a very confined space so i think that's the other thing you know like i will say this i had a couple people who said to me you look at matthews has never been seriously injured but he's had some things the wrists uh the shoulder the concussion um that he's had before like i don't think there's anything here that anybody worries about long term with austin matthews but when you've had like this kind of history it takes real fortitude not to go for the most security i think the other thing here is about toronto you're going to hear our interview with nylander in a second and for a few hours there, Nylander dominated the news cycle until <laughs> the Leafs said enough no of this. We're, we're, we're dominating the news cycle. Like I said, I think they were trying to get Matthews signed for as long as they could do it. That was their goal. Their number one goal was sign Matthews for as long as they could. They wanted at least five. They got four. But I think the rest of it, 
they're ready to play this year out. Monner's a year away from being eligible for an extension. Tavares is two more years. Nylander, as we all know, is going into his last year. They've got Domi on a year. They've got uh, Bertuzzi on a year. They've got Giordano going into his last year, like Riley's signed. Their longest signed forward now is Matthews, but second is Yarncroke. Like, there's a lot of flexibility there. So I think the Maple Leafs have basically said, we are going to punt a lot of our decisions to later in the season or after this season. And play is going to determine where we go. And I don't think this changes any of that. They were always going to lock up Matthews. I was confident that he was going to sign. And I think they were confident he was going to sign. But I think around the rest of them, they're not afraid of the uncertainty of saying, we're going to see where we are here. So here's the annoying question. Is this the number then that if you're William Nylander, you're negotiating off of? you know what I've had to say about Nylander and we'll hear what he has to say. Like, and I ask him about it directly. And that is, you know, about the idea that he doesn't want to take a haircut of nobody else's. To me, the bigger question is not Nylander on this one. It is Marner. What is Marner's next number now? Because he was the closest one to Matthews. When Matthews signed for 11, six, three, four, all of a sudden, Marner became close to an $11 million player. So now Matthew's number is 13.25. What's Marner's number? Is it 13.24.9999? <laughs> like, what is it? I actually think that becomes the biggest question. And then again, you know, what happens here, Jeff, if Nylander scores another 40 goals? Like, I don't want to give away the interview, but... Nylander seems pretty confident in himself. I mean, if there's one thing that guy is, it's confident in his own skin. But I think what the Maple Leafs are saying is you can debate what Marner's next number is going to be. You can debate what Nylander's next number is going to be. We're going to wait to see how everything goes this year, and then we'll make our decisions. Like, I think one thing that's for sure for me is that their defense as it starts the season, it won't be the same as it finishes the season. That's going to be something they continue to think about all year long. But I think what they've said now is Matthews is our guy. We've locked him up. That's what we wanted to do. Everybody else, let's see how this plays out. I uh, thought on Brad Living here. This is his first major swing with the Maple Leafs. Well, you know, he's, he's made some signings. But this one's the whopper. This one's the whopper. This is the whopper. You know, who has the leverage here? Matthews has the leverage. Yeah. Matthews is the guy who's got the hammer. The closer you get to UFA, the more you have the hammer. I think he got the best deal he could get, both in term and number, that could work for Toronto. And this is what Matthews wanted, and this is what Matthews gets. Okay, so Elliot, with that, the conversation turns to William Nylander. We sat down with him earlier here in Stockholm. Here's William Nylander on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Just say that again. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> William, first of all, thanks so much for joining us. And for all the uh, Swedish players that we talked to um, here in Stockholm, we're asking the same question to begin, and that is, what is the best thing about Sweden for you? Mm, probably the the food, the Swedish food. I think you're the third or fourth person to say that. Yeah. What's your dish? I mean, there's so many dishes, but I mean, I got this, this was, I don't know if it's Swedish pizza, but 
pizza place like close to where I live, and that's where when I get home, I hit it up maybe four or five times the first couple of weeks. Should pineapple <laughs> be on pizza? That's the big question. Well, that's an order we usually go with. Me and my buddies, we go pineapple on the pizza. So You have solved the question. Mm-hmm. So that is a strong yes from William Nylander. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into what's next, a quick look back at last season. Uh, there was the big hump, the big hurdle, the first round. Um, the Maple Leafs beat the Tampa Bay Lightning and then lose to Florida in the second round. How do you and your teammates look at what happened last season? Yeah, I think that we, I mean, look at it as being, I wouldn't say happy, but to step in the right direction, I think, with getting past the first round and getting over that hurdle, because I do think that that was uh, maybe weighing a little bit heavy on us, uh, not getting past that in previous years where we've been up 3-2 and stuff like that happened. So that was Great to get that off our uh, off our shoulders, and uh, I think going in the second round, I just think we maybe didn't have our foot on the gas as much as we uh, as we should have. And I mean, now we know you win the first round. I mean, the second round is just going to get that much harder, and you're going to have to give that much more. So, I think that's probably what we could take uh, take from last year. Have you seen this Morgan Riley appearance on a podcast called Jake's Takes? No. Okay, so Morgan Riley did a podcast on, uh, it's a young fan, he's very talented, mm-hmm. Jake, and it's a podcast called Jake's Takes, and he said that in game three against Tampa, the face-off, just before he scored the overtime winner, he went up to you and said, Nylander had told me, or I asked him what he wanted to do off the face-off, what kind of set play he wanted to run, and he said, just just stay out. <laughs> he's like, just stay at the top, don't worry about coming down, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we had a good laugh about that afterwards because we had tried a bunch of different things that hadn't really been working. But um, he, he said, just stay out of it, okay? Like, I'm going to, you know, do this, blah, blah, blah. But he essentially told me just to not worry about it. Uh, but the puck came right to me, and that was the end of it. So, uh, I, 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 again, all I really yeah. So he basically yeah. said that you called the winning goal. <laughs> Because you told him not basically I just told him to shoot it. <laughs> yeah, don't don't make up. Don't worry about me because yeah. nothing's working. Yeah. So just shoot it. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, I, I I think that that's kind of what it went down to because I was like, we're none of these face off plays that we've been trying to been doing nothing all 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 series. So I just said, just just shoot it, and then he did his thing. That's it's that's hilarious. <laughs> he was giving you credit, just so you know. <laughs> well, I don't deserve any credit there. That's all him for sure. All right. Where do things stand? As you know, everybody like and I'm just as guilty as anyone else, we're all talking. You're the source. Where does everything stand? Well, uh look, right now um I'm just getting ready for for the season and um, my agent and, uh, Brad can do whatever talking they want to do, uh, for, uh, to try to get a contract done. Obviously there's no other place I want to, uh, play at. So my mind's only in Toronto. Is any part of you concerned that this won't work out? That's for a later day in next, uh, after next season. So I'm not worried about that right now. Like, this is where I want to be at, and I'm just focusing right now and getting ready to have the best year of, uh, of my career and helping the team to reach our goal that we all want to want to achieve. So that's uh, for another day to, for me to focus on because I still have one more year left, and, and that's the place I want to be at. So there's lots of time to get something done. And I'll ask one more. Was there any point at all this summer where you thought you were going to be traded? 
Uh, not really. I didn't think so. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too worried. Yeah. Not, not too worried about it. Does anything worry you? <laughs> You're the most calm, chill person I think I've ever seen play in Toronto. I don't, I don't know. My dogs maybe worry me. <laughs> um, but no, like I said, I, I still have one more year and I know how much I love it there. And I mean, it would take a lot for me to want to leave Toronto. Like there's like, that's a place I want to be at. And that's where my mind's at for, for the coming, uh, your end for the future. I'm not thinking about being anywhere else. So, and the contract stuff, that's not for me to figure out. That's between Brad and my agent and, uh, when, and hopefully they get that done, uh, soon to be good. What is it about Toronto then? Like, what is it about the city, the team, the organization, all of it that does it for you? So you'll say like, look, this is where I want to play. Um, well, like you got the organization, uh, they take care of you, uh, better than any other team in the league and the staff, uh, the trainers and the equipment staff and all the people around they just make sure that you you're given the best stuff to uh to succeed and have success and then you got the fans that are incredible and then the city i mean just basically this is where i've uh spent the most time in my life mm-hmm. so this is uh this is home for me so i mean with just my daily life in toronto i mean that's just uh mm-hmm. yeah consider it home i i do want to ask you one more and you know, again, this is your opportunity to say, to clear anything. Like I've said, like I've heard that you don't want to take a discount if other players are going to take a disc aren't going to take a discount. There's been reports that you're asking for a minimum of ten million. Do you want to address any of this? <laughs> the contract stuff is uh, is that's just for uh, Brad and uh, my agent to to dig into. I mean. Both sides, I think, know where each other are, are at. And right now, we'll just see what happens. I mean, I still have one more year left, so I, I don't really understand what the big rush is either to get a get a deal done. I mean, got one more year left. We have a great team, and and we go from there. How do you and your teammates talk about this team right now? Yeah, I think everybody's excited. I mean, we had a great offseason, signed some uh, big players coming in, and... Obviously, we lost some really, uh, really good players too that were close friends as well. Of a lot of guys, so that was tough. But I think that we're all excited in knowing what we've done uh, last year. Jobs one quarter of the way to finish, but mm-hmm. we're, we're uh, building towards uh, towards that angle. You know, from from our perch, we talk a lot about windows and how long the window is open for certain teams and when it closes. Do players talk the same way? Like, do you, you guys talk about like, hey, we have X amount of years to do this together? Well, I mean, for the most part in Toronto, I mean, we're still pretty young, I would think, as a, as a group of uh, guys. So, I mean, you look at other teams around the league, how long they've battled with their core group of guys to win a cup. So, I think of Washington. Yeah, like I like I, I don't think that there's a, like a big rush in, in that aspect. I think that it's going to take time, too. It's not the easiest thing to go out there and just win a cup. Like, it takes time and... It's a lot of stuff to uh, to learn, I think. And, I mean, we're also young, so now getting a little older. but <laughs> <laughs> And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is, like, when you, like, Marner got married this summer and a lot of you guys were there. You guys are still pretty young, but if you think about it, it's you've been together five, six, seven years now. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want, when you look at some of the guys you started with, how have you seen everybody change 
in the last few years? Well, I mean, I think that like everybody gets older, maybe a little bit more mature, but everybody's still like, they're still them like from when, from when you first met them to now they're still the same way. Like nobody has made like a huge, huge 180 or whatever. So, I mean, everybody's still their young selves, just maybe a little bit more mature, probably. Um, I wanted to ask you about Rasmus Sandin and uh, he was here a little while ago. And uh, we asked him about the day he got traded and we asked him about the conversation you had. And he said, you know, first of all, that it's, he said, the two of you said it's weird not to talk to each other or see each other every day. Mm -hmm. He said that you told him the cameras are on you. Don't lose your composure. (laughs) But he actually said that he almost got emotional remembering the conversation being asked about it. Cause in that moment where he was going through a whirlwind you made sure you were there for him. Yeah, I look like that practice was uh, was kind of crazy seeing. Uh, I mean, lived with me for quite a t- some time in Toronto and and stuff like that. And I mean, working out and skating in the summers together and stuff. So I mean, we become really close friends. So seeing him skate off the ice there it was uh, he just knew what was going on. So I mean, as soon as practice was over, I went straight over to the locker room and. Made sure, uh, made sure he's doing okay, and obviously it's tough to see uh, to see a friend like that go. But um, that's just the business side of it. Anything you in particular you've worked on this summer? I, I'm just working on getting better at the things I'm really good at, and then obviously trying to think uh, about, I mean, small areas that uh, that I could help uh, that need improvement too. So not just focusing on the stuff that I'm really good at and getting better, but small aspects to to help uh, the other side of the game too. You look, I could be totally wrong on this, but you look thicker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It could be. Maybe I'm just wearing some baggy clothes. So you think I'm, I'm I don't thinking. know. The shoulders, maybe it's broad. Like you look stronger, I have to uh, say. I don't uh, know. I could be totally wrong. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. Maybe. Hopefully the summer workouts have been paying off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious about a couple of players that um, Brad Tree Living has brought in here. And um, the, the two are Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi. You've played against both. What is your team getting with these two players? Yeah, competitors, guys that compete and, uh, I mean, obviously do uh, do anything to win and been uh, successful in wherever they played. So I think they'll fit in with our team perfectly. At the end of the season, would that have been one area where – are you having a conversation with someone from your team and you'd circle like, okay, we need players like Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, these types of players? Yeah, look, I mean, after the season, everything was also such a whirlwind. So, I mean, with everything going on and what you didn't know what was going on with uh, with the staff or anything. So, I mean, you weren't really thinking about like who we should acquire really. I mean, plus you're upset about the, the mm-hmm. loss at the, the end of the day. So, um, but yeah, I think it was a, it was a great off season for us. And we also had another Swede Klingberg. So that'll be fun for the, for the Swede group. <laughs> Some of the guys were skating with him. They said he looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a tremendous player and, uh, I mean, I think he'll have a great year this year. What is the best thing about being a Toronto Maple Leaf? I mean, I think it's honestly the fan base. I mean, you could go anywhere and you got fans in the stands. I think that's, uh, that's the coolest thing about it. I mean, I was actually, I've been on vacation. I mean, here in Europe, there are people walking around with Toronto stuff on, and you're like, "That's insane." Does anyone ever say? Like, does anyone ever come up to you or say anything? <laughs> I was, uh, I was at Five Guys in uh, 
Barcelona, just standing in there like waiting for the for the burger and. Uh, just some guy comes up to me. It's like, "Hey, a uh, huge fan. Uh, me and my wife are here. We're just, uh, was, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy. Take a picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Good on you. Uh, we're in Sweden now, and you'll be coming back to Sweden in November as part of the global series. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, the Detroit Red Wings, the Ottawa Senators, and your Toronto Maple Leafs. Personally, I love it watching NHL games in other countries. Um, every a hockey country has its own hockey culture. Um, what's that going to mean to you to play NHL games in Sweden? No, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, bringing NHL hockey here, I think it's good for growing the game too. I mean, kids around the city could come and watch an NHL game. I mean, usually games are on at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., mm-hmm. 3 a.m. here, so they don't really watch any. So I think that'll be great. And obviously, family and everybody that's in town would be uh, would be fun, but it'll be expensive. But it'll be fun for them to to see uh, to see some hockey too. Do you know that that's what every Swedish player has said yep. so far? Is that I'm either going to be playing that game for free, yeah. or I'm going to be playing it at a loss? Yeah. <laughs> Probably a loss. Like I got so much family. Both my sides are, or my parent, my mom and dad's side are huge. So. We'll see. Good on you. I think that's awesome. Uh, listen, uh, we'll see how things go with the contract. Yeah. Um, we'll keep talking about it. I know you don't want to, and that's cool. Yeah. You be no well. Good luck next season with yeah. the Maple Leafs. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, so Elliot, that's William Nylander in his own words, uh, in his own dodges, deflections, <laughs> however you want to describe it. Uh, talking about his contract situation. He was not buying what I was selling. He was not picking up what you were putting down, Elliot Friedman. He was not picking up what you were putting down. And let's now get to another elite level forward, highly skilled Swede in the NHL. Uh, A couple of days ago, you took um, Elias Pettersson out on a boat, and I've seen a lot of gangster movies, and I know that if you want to get the truth out of someone, you take him out for a canoe ride, or you take him out on a boat, and you did that. With Who uh, comes back? Does he come back or not come back? This sounds like sounds like Jeff Hitman Merrick. That's what you did. With I'm the, taking you out on the boat, and if I don't like the answers, you don't come back. Right, two go out, one come back to shore, and he was pretty upfront about not wanting to rush things around the contract. One more bit of business extension. You're eligible to sign. Yeah. Where do things stand? Yeah, um, I'm not in a rush to sign. Um, I mean, I got one one more year left over there, and uh, I don't want to rush into anything because I still don't know myself if it's going to be a short term or long term. But it's going to be uh, probably my biggest contract so far, so I don't want to stress anything. Just going to get off to a good start. Focus on that. Yeah, that's been the main goal. I mean. The whole summer, I'm just trying to prepare myself as much as possible with training, trying to gain a little bit of weight, some muscles, and uh, and yeah, especially get off to a good start with the team. And yeah, that's been my mindset also. Now, it's Vancouver, and I say this with yeah. love. Everything there is a five-alarm blaze. Those are passionate, passionate hockey fans. The thing I'll say about Pedersen is he didn't want to, those two questions were the only two he would answer about his contract. He didn't want to say anything else besides that but the thing is like someone called me from out there and said okay what else did you get from his mood is there a reason to panic here like he's closing the door on the Canucks no I don't believe that I think that you know he knows his next contract is going to be a big one wherever it is and I don't think he's worried about that 
I just think he wants to make sure that he feels everything is going in the right direction. And I got the sense that he is confident in what they have. He just wants to see the results. And as long as the Canucks do what he believes and what they're selling him they can do, I don't think this is going to be an issue. They know they're going to have to pay him. I think they are prepared to pay him. They're prepared to pay him long term. I think the guy just wants to win and he yeah. wants to make sure that it's going to be there. But I'll tell you one thing, Jeff. Yeah. He is upholding his end of the bargain. You can see he's stronger. You can see he's serious. You know, he moved into Stockholm. He's closer to his trainer. You know, one of the things he did on the trip, and when the piece airs, people will see it, he brought a lunch onto the boat with him because he's only eating what he's supposed to eat. He's working on everything. The other thing that's interesting about it is he knows he's got a good shot. He wants to score more. I think that's one of the things that he's kind of talked about is he's unselfish. It's like McDavid. We talked about Dreisaitl and McDavid last year. Dreisaitl said that McDavid has to be more selfish, and McDavid scored 60 goals. I think Pedersen saw that. He watches that, and he feels he can be an even more dangerous player if he's a little more selfish. Like, if it doesn't go well for the Canucks... Pedersen is determined that he's not the reason for that. Mm -hmm. So I think he's going to fulfill his end of the bargain. You know what the problem with that is? What's that? It's been a change in the balance of power in the Western Conference. All of a sudden, the Pacific Division, where, by the way, the Stanley Cup resides. Yes. Pacific Division is excellent. The Central has the questions. All these teams around the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, the defending Stanley Cup champions. You have a team in Edmonton that could win the Stanley Cup. You have a team in the Los Angeles Kings that have taken the next step to getting to the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. You look at the Seattle Kraken, mm -hmm. uh, who are now, and then you have the wild card. You know, I, I don't know if there's any more of a wild card. Who knows what's going to happen than this team, and that's the Calgary Flames. Anaheim is Anaheim. We know what the score is in San Jose as well. All of a sudden, the Pacific got really, really good yeah. fast. Mm -hmm. And if Elias Pedersen is looking around saying, I'm going to see how the season goes, and I want to see if we're competitive or not, before he signs a contract, it just got harder, Elliot. It did, but you know what? It's hard to win in this league. I get that. All I'm, all I'm saying is everyone, every, all these teams around him are better, but, and not even by a little bit. Like LA is a lot better. Yeah, you know, Jeff, here, here's my feeling on that. I get what you're saying, and I understand that. All you can do is take care of your own business. Like, no matter where you go, it's going to be hard to win. So, to me, it's not even about who's good around you. It's about, are you good? Are you going the right way? You know, one of the things that, you know, we talked about is he likes the way last season ended. He thinks that Talkit was pushing them in a right direction. He believes in what Talkit was selling him on. You know, recently, Miller, JT Miller, he went on the Cam and Strick podcast and he called Vancouver last year a bleep show. I mean, you could write a book about last season. I mean, about everything from our start to, you know, Travis get fired two years ago, I guess, to, to Bruce coming in and then the whole shit show with Bruce at the end of his tenure. I don't even know what to say. It was just so bad. And I got 
it's just another season I want to just kind of erase. I mean, I'm glad that I, I mean, up until the point where Rick, I mean, everything just changed when Rick got there. So, I mean, up until then, I mean, it's amazing how things, I mean, you write one article and then all of a sudden the city believes one thing and then it becomes healthy again. So it's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely excited that we're kind of turned the page and move on and can put some things in the past. I mean, with the deadline and all the rumors about people getting traded and yeah, it was just, it's just a shit show to say the least. Pedersen's not going to say that, but me looking at him and listening to him yesterday, he's kind of thinking that. To me, it's not necessarily about going out and going 60 and 20. It's going out and saying, we have a plan. We're going in the proper direction. And it's not crazy town. Like, you know, again, this is all going to air later and people are going to see it. But we talk about some of his big moments in Vancouver. And he talks about the crowd when he was having some of his big games. And he talks very positively and passionately about it. So I don't think it's about who's around them. Uh I think it's about them. All I'm saying is it's become more challenging to be a good Vancouver Canucks hockey team with this many good teams. I don't understand why you have to be so (laughs) negative. Hi guys, Anton here, calling from Sweden. Uh, musician, big hockey fan, big fan of your pod. Just wanted to say, love the interview with Dallas, especially, you know, the feel in its face, uh, total recognition. Uh, also talking about the venues, Rage Against the Machine, uh, saw them live, just amazing. Just wanted to share my thoughts. Great stuff, guys. Bye. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We're in Stockholm, um, part of the European NHL Players Tour. Uh, I've always wanted to come here. From a hockey point of view, there's a couple of things that I continue to be fascinated about. One we've talked about extensively on the podcast. I want to get to that in a second. But when you look at the history of hockey, Stockholm's a really important place. Mm-hmm. And not just for Swedish hockey, but it was the World Championships in 1954, March 7th. Was, was that the one where the Soviets first beat Canada? Canada? Seven to two or something Elliot, like that? Elliot, four nothing after the first period. You're yeah. on a roll. Keep going. It was East York Lyndhurst's representing uh, Canada at that point. For those of you wondering if Jeff prepared me for this, the answer is no. No, I did I Jeff did, would did rather not. embarrass me than make me look smart. <laughs> but I remember reading a story. I was punished once in school and forced to do a project on that game. Really, eh? Yeah, I think I was 10 or 11 years old. It's funny, too, because we always talk about, you know, uh, every time Canada loses internationally, there's a big summit. And after that loss, Lionel Conacher, legendary athlete named Canada's athlete of the half century. Yep. Uh, he was a member of parliament at that point, And he called the game a catastrophe. Now, I don't know if he ever came fully in support of a, you know, a full sort of audit of Canadian hockey, but this was like a great source of shame for Canadian hockey. How I mean, uh, 
Khan uh, Smythe said the Maple Leafs will show up tomorrow to face off against the Soviet Union to to reclaim the flag or something like that, reclaim the glory. My report must not have been that thorough because I don't remember that. <laughs> anyway, Lionel Conacher, member of parliament, made a big deal of it. But something that I was really looking forward to, uh, and I've, I've always wanted to come here, and I've always wanted to come here and, and stay here and be able to travel around a little bit. I've always wanted to be here in hockey season. 1969 World Championships. Was that the famous Czechoslovakia-Soviet Union game? It was after the tanks rolled into Prague. Yeah. That was after that one. And now the Soviet Union ended up winning gold. Czechoslovakia won bronze. But there were two games between those two teams that were, for my money, and you look back and you look at the historical situation happening at that time, mm-hmm. the most, the two most intense hockey games ever Played And if you listen to anyone who was involved in those games, specifically from the Czechoslovakian side, they'll tell you it was either a win or death. There was no losing to the Soviets. And they won the first game 2-0. Jan Suci scored the first goal. They won the second game 4-3. And, you know, after the wins in Prague, you know, people hit the streets. It was massive celebrations. And a key piece of graffiti in Czechoslovakia at that time, people spray painted on walls and buildings all over Prague, two nothing and four three. It became a symbol of Czechoslovakian descent against the invading Soviet forces. You know, Bobby Holik's dad played on that mm. team. I mentioned Jan Suci, Vladimir Zurilla would have been the goaltender, Vladislav Nadamansky would have been on that team as well. Those were the most intense hockey games ever played one where there's no such thing as metaphor everything that the czechs said they wanted to do to the soviets they tried to do and it was physical from the outset it was intense it was raging hot the czechoslovakians would not shake hands after the games mm-hmm. you know they put black tape on the on the russian star uh, that were uh, were mandatory on the czechoslovakian jerseys at that point it was like legendarily intense and that happened here in stockholm there is actually a new book freedom to win i've heard about this ethan book. shiner yeah i've heard yeah, about I'm, this book. i'm dying to read this yes. i gotta get a copy when i get back it's called freedom to win uh, and it's all about those games and and that event but just coming here and thinking about hockey those yeah. were a couple of things that jumped to mind but this is the european nhl players tour your thoughts on Maybe some of the players that we spoke to today, we're going to get to the news in a second. We're going to get to Rasmus Anderson and uh, William Nylander and some of your emails as well. But just thoughts on Stockholm hockey. We're going to get to you lighting Vancouver on fire in a couple of seconds here with Elias Pettersson. But thoughts on being here for the last couple of days. The first thing I would just say is uh, I love this country. It's my second time here. I came here. I traveled here. I believe the summer before I started Hockey Night in Canada, I think it was 2003, I went to Sweden, Gothenburg, and Copenhagen at the time. Mm. And uh, this time I'm just here for uh, four or five days. Uh, We've got a couple of pieces uh, we're working on. First of all, I'm a big proponent that a, a country is truly a good country if it believes in jaywalking. And you told me that today as we were jaywalking to get to the hotel. And, and the Swedes are pro jaywalking. <laughs> I, I've noticed that in Stockholm. So uh, first of all, the, the one thing I think about here is you come here, like everybody's in good shape. They have a dedication to casual fitness, to hardcore and casual fitness that is unrivaled. I've lost a lot of weight lately. I'm in probably better shape than I've been in a long time. Yeah, you look good. But I still feel grossly <laughs> gross. 
<laughs> compared to the Swedes. But uh, the food's great. Uh, I've got a place we're, uh, we're trying tonight. I'm really excited about it. It's called Lucy's Flower Shop. Yep. You know, the players are in great moods. They don't hate us yet because it's not the middle of the season. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing I, I kind of liked about this one in particular where there's a lot of players like, you know, one moment last year that happened to me I thought about a lot was I went to Vancouver for the telethon that I do every yep. year. And Ethan Bear saw me and he said, I never knew you left the studio. And that was like a bolt of lightning to me because, as you know, I used to always be work ringside and I loved it. And you don't get the chance to talk to players as much anymore. There's a little bit of Steve Buscemi, uh, hello, fellow kids to me now. because Skateboard, I'm, backwards, baseball hat. I'm about to turn 53 and I really don't know, like... I remember when I started, older reporters would tell me, you will get to a day where you really feel out of touch with some of these players. Mm. And I admitted that I've started to feel that a little bit. So it was nice to meet people like Felix Sandstrom. What a polite guy, by the way. J.J. Moser. Yeah. Just guys that I don't really know. You're going to hear an interview in this pod with Rasmus Anderson. Like, I've never really had a chance to talk to him for a long time. And to me, he was a revelation. Like, that was the thing I really enjoyed about this. And I, I'm going to offend some people because I'm not going to mention them. But uh, J.J. Paterka, like, just the chance to talk to some players face-to-face that I've never met, I really enjoy that. Yeah, uh, the guys were great, really relaxed. Excellent. And like we mentioned on the, the, the last time we did this type of podcast, Last year was in Paris, this year's Stockholm. European hockey players feel really comfortable yep. doing interviews in Europe. Yep. And you can see that and you can hear that. And that's coming up here on the podcast. And, and I wanted to, there's a couple of things. Just, I want to, before we get to the news, a few people I want to thank. I want to thank our crew. So it's Amal Delich. Mark Utley was, was shooting it. We had a couple of local people. There was Martin and Calais. And there's Paul Sadu, who's producing too. The NHL and the NHLPA, they make all the players available. Fantastic. And the other thing I just wanted to thank was Red Sightseeing. I wanted to point out Red Sightseeing, the Royal Bridges and Canal Tour, because that's where we went with Pedersen mm-hmm. on Tuesday. And we held up the boat for 20 minutes. The tour was 20 minutes late. Why? It wasn't me. I'm not going to throw the person under the bus. I'm not going to say who it was, was, but but I do want everyone to know it wasn't me. I take responsibility when it's my mistakes. I'm up. You know what you are? You're the guy who, when you're on the ice and a goal is scored, you come back to the bench and say, "Well, I had my man." No, 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 no. You're that guy. I I touched it when it went in. That's what I say. (laughs) Because everybody thinks I'm always late, which I am, and I would be the reason the tour was 20 minutes late. No, it was not me. And I also want to thank. For a feature we did, Soul Plus, a running shoe store. You want to talk hello, fellow kids. This is a truly hello, fellow kids segment. I went... Uh, did you get hello, fellow kids shoes, Elliot? <laughs> basically, with Tim Stutzla. <laughs> it was great seeing Stutzla yeah, again, too. It was really good. To After the with. season that he just had, holy smokes. So the players are great. I thought Martin Natchez was great. Yes, we're going to hear a clip from him. We're going to hear a clip from him coming up in a couple of moments. Okay, a couple of more things here, and you're going to hear um, in a couple of minutes from Rasmus Anderson of the Calgary Flames. And not to bias the jury here, but when you're listening, just think to yourself, could this guy be the next captain? Because I think you and I both thought that and have thought that. Brandon Hagel signs with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, It is an eight-year, $52 million contract. AAV is $6.5 million dollars. 
Brandon Hagel coming off a spectacular season, mm-hmm. 30 goals, 64 points. And we know that the, um, this is a team that has had to shed salary because of uh, the salary cap after being successful for as long as they have. Most recently, Alex Kalorn, just thinking of forwards. And we think of Andre Palat last season as well. This is a bit of business by Julian Brisebois locking up long-term a 24-year-old whose prime years Tampa is going to enjoy for $6.5 million. How do you see this deal? Well, first of all, I'm happy to see a guy get paid. Like, you know, I think two years ago, if you would have said that Brandon Hagel would be signing a $52 million contract, I Good don't know him. who would have believed it. But credit to him, he earned it. It was interesting, the reaction to that deal. I had a couple guys tell me that it's a sign of where we're going here. There's no way that Tampa would have been able to do that kind of a thing. Like, if you look at the players who got squeezed out, it was a lot of their Brandon Hagel-type players who played. Who are older, too, by the way. Who are older. I think one of the keys here is the number 24, and that's how old Brandon Hagel is. Yes, the age is is a big deal, but also the guys who played that kind of role. They were like Yanni Gord in the expansion draft. If you took a look at their guys, like a lot of guys they were keeping were signing like Nick Paul deals, like seven times three, that kind of a thing. So they took it as a sign that, you know, hey, like like everybody else, Tampa believes the cap is going to go up and you're going to have some flexibility. And they just didn't believe that not only them, but other teams would have been able to sign Hagel to that deal a year ago or two years ago. So I, I thought that was an interesting perspective. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious they think he's a big, big part of their team for years to come. That's what Tampa does. They de- they decide who their their top players are and they lock them up. And, you know, now I think the one that's going to be interesting is going to be Stamkos. One more year. One more year. Up. Remember, a few years ago, we all wondered, is, is this guy done? And all he's done since then is win cups and been a huge force. He's kind of gotten better. He's gotten better. He's gotten healthier. He's doing a tremendous job. I don't want to speak for Stamkos, but I think this is going to be his 16th, 17th season. I could see him wanting to play 20 years in Tampa. Hmm. I could see that. I think he's the kind of guy, he loves hockey. He loves the game. He's been rejuvenated. I could see him being a guy who would be like, I would love to be a member of the Lightning for 20 years. You would wonder about what the number would be for. Yeah. Like we're going to talk about Stamkos this year a ton because I don't have he's a got, good he's, answer. He's, on that. he's got he's got one year left, and I don't know what but the right number is. It's not league minimum. Pretty sure it's not going to be league minimum uh, for Steven Stamkos. Um, so there's there's part of the Tampa story. Elliot Jonathan Taves saying he is taking some time away from hockey. I know we always combine Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, and Kane's going to join the. NHL when he's ready to go again and start your rumor mill when that happens. But your thoughts on Jonathan Taves, uh, first of all, with the thank you to Chicago uh, and then saying, I'm taking a break. It was pretty funny talking to Felix Sandstrom here because Sandstrom (laughs) ruined that last game with the overtime save. He was kind of laughing about that too. Yeah, it was close too. Pack almost slipped on me and yeah, it was almost too good to be true there for in, in Chicago. I heard there was at least one team that was calling a ton on Taves. Yeah. That was really interested. Did that team just lose two centers? Uh, no, it was not Boston as far as I know. Uh, but I heard there was one team that was calling a ton on him yeah. and uh, was really interested. 
Um, by the way, that Hosa game looked so phenomenal. good. <laughs> I wish I was there. That was that that should have been televised in North America. Totally. Somewhere. But you know, Peter Holland, and that's How about a guy. That, eh? Yeah, like I'm I'm rooting up for that guy. Same. How can you not? Yeah, like just signing a He's PTO. PTO with the back. Colorado Avalanche. Like, like to me, it seems like I understand to a lot of people, it seems kind of far fetched that in a year from now, Jonathan Taves is is going to want to play. But don't forget this. He didn't play the COVID year because of his long COVID situation, which obviously he says still bothers him. But I wouldn't put it by him. I wouldn't put it by him in a year from now. He says, I'd like to try this again. We've learned not to count him out in that way. But I heard there were teams, at least one and probably more. Why not? They were really serious about him this year. I think 10 years after... Uh, his career is done. He could have a really fascinating book to write. I've told you before, to me, he's one of the most interesting players in the game. I'm waiting for the day that he's not, this is going to sound harsh, but bound by the shackles of being a pro athlete playing in a, in a, in a league. But when he's retired and has some, you know, maybe to your point about some, some time and space and some greater perspective and expanded vision uh, on the career, I think that's going to be either one dynamite book or one dynamite interview or one dynamite podcast or one dynamite whatever. Because mm-hmm. I think that he's one of the most endlessly fascinating athletes in the game. I'm with you 100%. Tom Wilson signs a seven-year contract. I'm not surprised about that one in the least. $45.5 million, $6.5. There were times this year, I don't know if I heard a team bite back as hard on trade rumors as the Capitals did about Tom Wilson. Because they would say, we're not trading Tom Wilson, and there'd be more Tom Wilson rumors. And I think it drove them absolutely bananas. So I'm not surprised about that one in the least. And they consider him to be a really huge part of their team. I was not surprised that one got there. I know not everybody likes it. Yeah. Again, I'm not unhappy to see people get paid. And I'm not the least bit surprised that that's the way it went. We keep talking about, you know, muscle going from west to the east. And, you know, what did we most recently see? You know, Ryan Reeves uh, goes to the Toronto Maple Leafs and Milan Lucic go to the Boston Bruins. Mm -hmm. We've seen muscle going that way for a long time. So no shock that Washington uh, locks up someone who's not just tough, but can also skate and play, Mm -hmm. um, which is a good combination, obviously. Just about every player that we asked about Patrice Bergeron Mm -hmm. had a great story to tell or had an interesting thought um patrice bergeron retires after 19 seasons Mm -hmm. and a stanley cup and six selkies so if you're nico heischer if you're anthony sorelli if you're whomever looking for what barkov say my my face-off percentage (laughs) is about to go up uh first thing came to mind was that my face-off percentage will probably go up like what (laughs) one percent or two uh he was one of those guys who who dropped my percentage very low uh, but yeah, he's like his definition of a Selkie type of player. And Stutzley liked that line too. Everyone's face-off percentage is going to get better. And now the Selkie is legit up for grabs because the guy who's pretty much owned it is now retired. I want to get to David Krejci in a second. Is calls it a career after 16 seasons. Just your thought on Patrice Bergeron. 19 seasons in the NHL. I mean, the the, the body of work is staggering. Hall of Fame right away, three years. Uh, I don't think he's going to be made to wait. You know, first of all, you know, we did an interview with him last year. It was a real highlight for me. 
like everybody else, I just like the way he carries himself. You know, Hampus Lindholm, who's here, told us a story about he hadn't even gotten called by the GM yet when he got traded to Boston. He no. got a call from Bergeron. Well, I can just speak for myself. I would say maybe, like, not that I've been traded a lot, but, like, when I get traded, like, before even, like, any GM has time to call me almost, like, I get a phone from Patrice on my phone. Like, he takes time to call me, and he, everyone that was around me include everyone. It's not like you said he calls me, hey, welcome to Boston, Hampus. It's very, you can tell it's very genuine, and it's, like, it's not like you just get that phone call. It's, like, when you arrive, it's, like, every little thing. Like, he wants you to uh, to make it easy to come over to the new team and like he's so aware of all those little things and to make sure that everyone's happy and satisfied and you can tell that he does it from a genuine way which is I think it's very very special and my first practice I, I come to Boston I think he he had done some kind of stuff with his wrist so he wasn't playing with the team I come there we're skating he's I feel like I'm 50 years old because he never gets tired that guy <laughs> I'm skating around to try to impress him. It's, it's, it's a, it was a really fun skate. And then we end it. And then before I even like have time to look down, he's there picking up the pucks and uh, coming up and, and knuckle fist me. Great, great practice and goes off. And he's just such a polite, nice man. And I think a lot of people can learn from him. And I feel f- sorry for those people that didn't have the chance to play with him. Really? Yeah. I just remember, you know, the Trent Frederick story, which Bergeron confirmed that his 1,000th game was Frederick's fifth NHL game, and he made sure that Frederick got the gift that he gave to all his teammates. Like, there's there's so many stories. He just treated people the mm-hmm. right way. A great player, like the perfect human. Like, Nicholas Lidstrom, when he played, his nickname was the perfect human. I think Bergeron, although, you know, Lidstrom was winning – a gazillion Norris trophies. I think Bergeron to me is the closest that we've seen since Lidstrom to the way that they were perceived as people since Lidstrom retired. And it's such a high standard. You know, Krejci, you know, there's another guy. I love talking to Krejci just because he processed the game really well and he, he always taught me something. I love dealing with Krejci too. I think we're all wondering what the Bruins are going to be like. I was interested by Lindholm said that like the players know that everybody is saying they're not going to be the same and they're motivated to show that they are going to be greater than, and a lot of those players are going to be counted on to be take on bigger roles are going to deliver. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as I said to him, are we ready for Captain Brad Marchand? Mm-hmm. Now, I have no information. I assume it's going to be Marchand. Yes. I think that could be really fascinating because it's always been they passed the mantle, charred a Bergeron, and now is Marchand going to take that mantle? And I, I think, like, first of all, I think he's up to it. I think it could be really fascinating. I kind of hope it's Marchand because it makes sense. He's kind of the next guy in line. It just be, as far as the Marchand story goes, it would just be a cool. It's just be a cool I, chapter. I think it would be really interesting to watch him as the captain. Go and of the talk Bruins. to referees. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it would be. I think he would really accept and love that role. Yeah. And responsibility. You know, I think a lot of people look at this and like, look, you're not going to come back as the same team. You lose Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. You're not coming back to being close uh, to the same you were. I'm just not prepared to write off the Boston Bruins like some are and say like, oh, man, this is awful. That's the team. that no if, way. You know, if Detroit or Buffalo or Ottawa are jumping up, that's the They always the team. figure things out. They always do. Now, I know it's tough. Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka are your one-two centers. And you wonder what happens to other players that have played with 
most specifically Patrice Bergeron, what happens to their production now that they're gone. But there's still so much talent there. That blue line, those goalies, Dave Pasternak, like there's still a ton of talent. They're not going to stop looking. I think we all wonder if there's a deal for a center in either Winnipeg or Calgary for the Boston Bruins. I just don't know that they have the assets to make those deals. That's the only thing that I wonder about. I don't disagree. Look, Lindholm, and we've talked about it before, we talked about it again with him today. One of the reasons he signed their sight on seeing is his agent, Claude Lemieux, told him the Bruins always figure yeah. things out. They'll find a way to figure things out. Other news, Evan Bouchard, two-year contract, AAV $3.9 million. I've been wondering why this one has kind of taken so long. Someone told me before Carlson was traded, someone said to me, it's going to be two times 3.9. And I don't know why it took this amount of time to get there. Mm -hmm. They didn't have room to do longer term. I think the Oilers know that they're going to be paying more in a couple of years as long as it keeps going the way it's going to be going but i just think their cap situation forced them into a place where this was all they could do and i think this one's kind of been cooking mm -hmm. for a few months maybe jeff jackson the former agent was busy preparing for some other things and couldn't close <laughs> the deal jackson now takes over as the ceo of hockey operations for the uh, for the edmonton oilers Okay, another bit of business we've been waiting for. It involves the New York Rangers and former number one overall draft pick, Alexi Lafreniere. Elliott's uh, two-year deal, 2.325 is the AAV. Uh, Chris Drury getting uh, one of the final pieces done, one of the final touches on this year's edition of the Rangers. I was wondering what this one was going to look like uh, at the end of the summer, the end of the day. I'm not hugely surprised about the number. I heard that it was going to be in this range. And basically what Lafreniere signs is a prove-it contract. And I didn't think he was going to get traded. I just felt that the Rangers felt there was a lot more here and there was a lot more to work with here. They wanted to see what a new coach was going to be able to do. And I also just felt that you weren't going to be able to trade. It's like right now in the NFL, there's a situation with the Colts and a running back named Jonathan Taylor. And they're not going to pay him, and he wants to be traded. It's like this old situation. They don't want to pay him as much as the kid wants, but they want to trade him for what they really think he's worth. And it's the same kind of thing with Lafreniere. They don't want to trade him. They want to keep him. You know, because if they are going to trade him at some point, they want to get the worth of a number one overall pick. And it's just not right there right now. I understand what everybody's doing here. Everybody's kind of in a position where they're saying, look, we're going to try this under a new coach, see where it goes, see if we can make this all work out. And then I have to tell you in the summer, if it's good, everybody's happy. If it's not good next summer, then I think you can move him at a number that teams can handle because I just think if it's another year like this, they're probably going to have to move on. So I, I understand the gamble from the two sides with this contract because it gives him a bridge to get to where he thinks he can be. If it doesn't work, 
it puts everybody in a situation where it's not going to be hard to move him at the number he's going to be making. To me, this is a two-year deal, but it's a one-year deal in New York, and then we'll see. I want to get to this Martin Natchez thing. Yeah. I knew you were going to ask this, by the way. So I am fascinated by one fight in the NHL from last season, and that is Stefan Nason and Eric Hall. Nason came in, didn't like that hit, and then Hall and Nason, who were yelling a lot at each other in the previous game in Carolina, looked to settle things here in Newark. Rod Brendamore barking at the official right in front of the bench. Very animated for the last 25 seconds. Power play for the New Jersey Devils. And this has become a thing on social with the fans of the two teams. Absolutely. So I went to like Taylor Swift's Airs tour and I had a bunch of like stuff left over. So I made bracelets for like players and stuff because I was going to a Minnesota Wild event. So then I gave them to some of the players, and Eric Holla was there, and I really like the New Jersey Devils. So I was giving him a bracelet, and he was like, do you have one that says Kane suck? I was like, no, but I'll make one. You made a bracelet that said Kane suck? <laughs> yeah, and people were not happy about it. Did he wear the bracelet after you gave it to him? Yeah, someone posted it on Instagram, just like on their story, I guess. He was like golfing, and he just did like a peace sign. And it's just like when the camera pans to the bench after, you know, all the players usually do the stick tap on the on, on the boards, congratulate their guy. But it seemed as if there was just like some extra spice in the chili for, yes. for Nason after, after the fight against Hall. And I think we all sort of wonder, okay, what is there? What is there between Hall and his ex-team? And so we asked Natchez about that one. Answer was pretty interesting. I don't know. I feel like... Uh, every time he plays against, against us, he's uh, tries to play hard. Obviously, he's you know he plays gritty, and uh, you know there was people always booing him in Carolina once he touches the puck. So because that was actually the first year when he left, I think he played for Nashville. If I'm right, the next season we played we played him in the playoffs. It was after bubble, and yeah. I don't know. Me and him, we were kind of I don't know having something against each other in the. First playoffs, and then since then, people are somehow booing him. And then there was just something that they he didn't beat us yet as a, and he played in I don't know four different teams. So uh, that was a thing. But you know, after last series, we like we talk, and he was just like you know he has to do that. He, that's that's the way he plays. And uh, you know, after a series, he was fine. But I just saw he had some uh, bracelet. bracelet with something Kane sucks or something like that. So uh, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, excited to play against him again. That bracelet thing, I can't stop <laughs> laughing. Like, I don't know who was founded, the Hurricanes fans, the Devils fans. That's uh, unbelievable. <laughs> I knew when NHS sat down, if someone would have said to me, give me odds on Merrick asking that question. Oh, yeah, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. A billion percent no i know uh i am that obvious i've become that obvious i've become a cliche and a cartoon of myself i i understand that um we'll drop the nature's interview coming up in uh, next, weeks. next couple yeah. of weeks mm -hmm. but i was just really impressed with the guy yeah you know and i was really happy you know we talk about it's funny we've spent last year at the european players tour well you did specifically uh, a lot of time with tim stutzula yeah 
This year, again, more with Stutzla. I'm not going to say what the feature is because it's really cool, but also we interviewed him here uh, as part of the Euro Players Tour, and he had just an insanely good season last year. Mm-hmm. From a personal production point of view, mm-hmm. this last year was a year that Stutzla popped. Last year was also the year that Martin Natchez popped. Like there are some other yes. players that were sort of waiting, like, okay, they're close, they're going to pop. Natchez popped big for the Carolina Hurricanes. We've always known about the skill, and he seemed to all put it together last year for Carolina. There's a couple of things that came out of this for me. First of all, uh, Natchez was on a podcast. I apologize. I don't know which one. Uh, but Natchez was on a podcast where he talked about the fact he knew he could be going to Calgary, Calgary in a Kachuk deal, and we talked about that a little bit in our interview. But the other thing that Natchez talked about, and so did Jesper Bratt, uh, was about mental preparation. So if you watch the, the quarterback series on Netflix. I have not. I'm, I've, all my friends keep telling me about it. I feel like I don't have to watch it because everyone tells me about sport, it. Yeah, there's too much. That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> there's too many sports documentaries now, but that's a good one. And in the first episode, Kirk Cousins, that, this actually surprised me. They showed it, that he's in a room with a psychologist because normally that stuff is yeah. no. Like, you cannot show that kind of a thing. But I guess Cousins just said, agreed to show like just a couple seconds of him talking with the psychologist. And Natchez said that he has a mental coach that really worked on his mental preparation, and Brad was excellent talking about it. And we'll find another time to play all these. But Brad also talked about how he journals. And I have to tell you, I had someone say to me, Elliot, you should be journaling a lot more. Like what I do is when I think of something, I write it on, on I write notes. It notes. Yeah, same. But Someone said to me, like, who knows me, says, you should be journaling. And it's actually true. I bought a few notebooks. I'm going to journal. But to me, the fact that a lot of these players are more open about talking uh, about that kind of the part of the game, and clearly Natchez was in a much better place mentally last year than where he mm-hmm. was the year before. And I am a huge believer that confidence is 75 to 80% of the game. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody's going to believe in you. So you better find a way to believe in yourself. Pedersen, by the way, talked a lot about Kobe Bryant and Lionel Messi and what he's learned from them. I don't care who it's from, who who gives you your confidence, but you got to have it. And Natchez and Brad and Pedersen on this trip were all really good talking about it. All right, Elliot, Rasmus Anderson. Uh, one more interview here. He was uh, fantastic. He's a uh, tremendous interview, a big piece of the Calgary Flames. And when I say the Calgary Flames, I say to myself, who are the Calgary Flames? What are the Calgary Flames going to look like? We've seen Tyler Toffoli uh, move to the New Jersey Devils, Yegor Sharangovich coming back the other way. But there's still a lot of question marks about the Calgary Flames. And Anderson discusses that, discusses his own personal situation, uh, the year that was. And, you know, as, as I mentioned it, like... This team, to me, is the ultimate wild card in the NHL. I don't know what to expect from the Calgary Flames, Elliot, mainly because I don't know what the Calgary Flames are going to look like. I don't even think they completely know yet either. Uh, But I really thought Anderson was dynamite in this interview. Mm -hmm. And we, the three of us, made the choice to play this today because it was so good. Yeah, he's excellent. And he's blunt and he's honest. I've never really had a huge chance to talk to him before. And when people talked about Anderson this year, unfortunately, the thing they talked about most was the accident, which he opened up about to a Swedish paper last month. 
But that's the thing we talked about with him least because he had some time to talk about some of the other things that happened. And I thought it was fantastic. And um, I'll tell you one thing. I know that whatever they decide to do with some of the guys in the last year of their deals, he is going to play a very big role for them. And he is ready to play a very big role for them. Absolutely. Here's Rasmus Anderson on 32 Thoughts. Uh, Rasmus, first of all, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Nice to be in Sweden. What's the best part of it? Malmo, southern part. Uh, uh, Close to Copenhagen. (laughs) That's the best part about it. (laughs) The best part about Malmo is uh, you're close to Copenhagen. (laughs) Quick ferry? (laughs) No, you just take the bridge. 20 minutes, you're downtown. No, but um, Stockholm is a beautiful city. Uh, Especially... You know, I never really liked Stockholm before, but uh, last two, three years, my wife has always loved it. And uh, so mm-hmm. we come up here and, you know, spend spend at least two weekends a summer here. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people move up here to study. And so we got a few friends here and that uh, we hang out with when we're here. Nice. Um, that's going to be the headline. Rasmus Anderson, colon, Stockholm sucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Clickbait. <laughs> Clickbait. Here we go. Yeah. Thanks, for the, one. thanks for the easy headline, Raz. Thanks for the easy headline. Yeah. I think a lot of people, and I would imagine, you know, uh, someone on the team as well, are looking at the Calgary Flames and, and wondering what's going to happen and what the team is going to look like and who's staying and who's going, et cetera. Um, new GM, new coach, Toffoli is now with the New Jersey Devils. What questions, as a member of the Flames, do you have about your team? Honestly, not too much. Uh, you know, I trust the direction we're heading in, and I trust, uh, you know, I've known Conroy since um, since 2015 when I got drafted, and uh, I know Connie, how much he loves the Flames, and uh, he wants what's best for the team, and... Um, so it's not something I question. I trust Connie and I, you know, I worked with Ryan Huska for since my first year in Stockton. I've had him. Yeah. He was my head coach for two years. Now my assistant coach for five years. So um, I know how good of a coach Ryan is. And um, I'm excited to, you know, get to work with Huska as the head coach because uh, I know how much he has developed me personally uh, over the last seven, eight years. And um, so I got full confidence in both of them. And uh you guys know it's a business with uh, all the contracts and uh you know when people have one year left in the deal you know i think it's i think it's so it's so different right with uh if you compare lindholm to backland yeah. for example you know Bax has been in calgary for what 15 years yeah. and uh, and you know if you're michael you're what 34 35 years old you haven't won and he said it himself he said it in the media it's like you know what as of right now i'm not going to resign but you know, if the team is doing well and we got a chance to win, I'm going to resign, but I'm going to wait and see how this year plays out. I want to win. Every player wants to win the Stanley Cup, and he hasn't done it. So, and with Lindy, it's business. It's got to work for both sides of uh, both mm-hmm. sides of it. And uh, and with that, you know, you don't pay too much attention to it because you hear from everyone else. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I had personally haven't been in this situation, but you hear from everyone that. You know, when it's business, it's business. You know, it's got to work for both sides of it. And um, so with Lindy, that part, you know, you're staying out of it. With Bax, you understand. And, you know, I think Tanny is in a similar situation. You know, if if we're good, they love the city. They, you know, Bax has lived there for 15 years. And I know Chris loves the city too. And uh, 
so you know it's two different worlds and uh it's hard to compare and uh but you know uh you know i think the guys are just excited to head back because i they know what happened last year and we we mm-hmm. want to prove everyone wrong that we are a good team we you know we we lost 17 games in overtime it's like that hasn't happened before and it's if we win five of those we're in a playoff by three four points so it's uh i think we all got that chip on our shoulder this year and um we want to prove uh, the doubt that was wrong. See, that's why I think the Calgary Flames are the ultimate wild card yeah. this year in, in the NHL. Because, listen, we all know how good this team can be. And we all know what we saw last season, where it was false start after false start yeah. after false start. Do you have a sense of how good this team can be? Well, it's funny about last season, too. The one game that really sticks out for me is we, we play Boston at home, the best team in the season, right? And you know, win the shots like 50 to 15. We outplay them by a margin and we lose in overtime. Like that's how our year felt like, you know, we, we had what, 50 games, one goal games. And it's like, we didn't win those games. Like, so how do we, you know, get that extra point and win the game maybe in regulation instead of overtime? You know, we, we can't be scared of losing a game. We got to, you know, go out and win it in the third and not just, oh, you know, we take one point here. You know, we, go out and win it in the third and, you know, not be scared of losing, go out and win the game instead. And I think that was a difference between two years ago and last year where, you know, we had Johnny and Matthew and Lindy, you know, when they were really connecting, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't lose a game. They, you know, they had four, three, four points each a night. And, you know, when you don't have those players, you got to win as a collective, you got to win as a team. And it felt like we were just, we were scared of taking the chance towards the end of the games to go out and really win the game instead mm. of, you know what, let's go out and win it. Let's not play for the tie. Let's not, you know, and in overtime, let's, you know, let's keep the puck. Let's make plays. Let's, you know, score when we got to score. And it was like, it just felt like, you know, at times we were scared of winning the games. You know, uh, one one of your teammates, I talked after the season, you know, he said to me, you know, last year, it just from the moment the Kachuk trade happened, it just like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Yeah. Like it was shock for everybody involved. Like the Goodrow thing was a shock in one way. The Kachuk trade was a shock for another way, including the players we traded at Calgary. And then he said there was just so much noise. Yeah. He, he said to me, you know what we need? We need boredom. Yeah. And it just quiet and play yeah he said it's hard because of you mentioned the business side of the contracts that have to get done but he said if we can just have a quiet year everything here <laughs> is going to be fine yeah it feels like it's never a quiet year though with the canadian market right <laughs> it's a canadian market yeah. uh and you know i, I yeah, we kind of <laughs> laughed about that but he, he just said like we just don't need drama like that's what he said last year there was too much drama yeah no i agree with you and it's it's so hard too, right? Because the the fans are so passionate. You know, they they make, you know, they talk about every player. They evaluate every player. You know, it's so it's like it's so hard to have a quiet year. But it's like if you play in a Canadian market, you got to embrace the chaos. I feel like that's the one thing about it. you got to embrace the chaos. And I felt like we were, you know. With the shock you said about the Chucky trade, you were like, I, I woke up, I was in Sweden, and obviously with the time difference, yes, and, late night. and I, I woke up, I had like 80 texts on my phone, you know, I, and I wake up with my son at like 6.30 a.m., and I had like 80 texts, and I was like, 
what the hell is going on? And I, you know, you open Twitter, you're like, Jesus. And then you're like, Jesus, we got Weeksy and Hubie and the first round and the prospect. You're like, you're, you know, your head was going and going and going. And then, you know, you want to make everyone feel welcome into the team. And, you know, for them, it was probably a shock too, because, you know, they will only played in Florida. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, going from a small market to a, a big market, it's probably a shock for everyone. And, and, you know, that's why I'm excited for this year. It's like, you know, Johnny's got to get his feet under him. He's going to, he has something to prove this year. You know, everyone talked about, you know, the biggest downfall from a year from another with him, you know, point wise. And it's like, well, you know how good of a player he is. He's a really good player and he's, he has everything you need to succeed. And I feel like he, he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder this year and, and be one of the best players again. I have no doubt about that. And, you know, with Weeksy, everyone was like, well, he didn't have the same points, but he was like one of the best defensive defensemen in the whole league. In like every statistic category, he was one of the best. The points came after the All-Star break. That's when the points came for him. So like after the All-Star break, he was arguably one of the best defensemen in the league. So it's like, if we just come together and as you say, maybe quiet, but you can't have quiet in the Canadian market because everyone always writes something about the team. So it's like embrace the chaos and let's just play. Let's have the swagger. Let's have the chip on our shoulders. Go and prove everyone that how good of a team we are and let you know, let's have some fun along the way, not just like the business side of it or you know we Mm got to win the game. Let's have fun. Let's you know, it felt like we had fun in the group, but we didn't have that much fun at the rink. Yes, you know, like we just gotta have fun at the rink. Have fun in practices. You know, when we practice, we practice, but have fun before and after. I feel like that's going to be a really big change this year when, you know, the guys are going to come in and have a chip on my shoulder. I'm going to have a chip on my shoulder. You know, I'm, I got to be better. Everyone's got to be better. And that's the way it is in the Canadian market. There's no, you, you can't hide anywhere. You know, everyone knows in Calgary who you are and who you represent and who you're playing for. So it's like, let's embrace it. Let's play. Let's have fun. Let's win games. Let's not be scared of losing. And I feel like that's the mentality we got to have. In the middle of all that chaos last year, you had a great year. You played really well, and it also came at a time where you suffered a pretty traumatic injury. And, you know, I saw you spoke to one of the Swedish newspapers about it, and what someone said to me is that you played well, serious injury, very hard year, and the way you're talking right now about embracing the chaos, they said, you could be the captain of this team. Like, does that appeal to you? I mean, you know, with social media these days, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk about it, but, you know, it's, let's put it this way. It's, it's something you would never turn down and no player in the league would ever turn it down. And I would obviously love to be the captain of the Calgary Flames, but I, I feel like we have a lot of good leaders in our team and, you know, whoever Connie and Husk, because they're such a smart persons, whoever they pick, it's going to be the right pick. And I would obviously embrace the challenge, as I just said, embrace the challenge and embrace the opportunity. But you know, if it's me, it's me. If it's not me, it's someone else. And whoever they pick, it's going to be the right call because I have so much trust in Husk and Connie and the owners in Calgary that they're going to make the right call. And I feel like that's something we've missed last few years. You know, in Canadian market, you need someone to step up towards the media, towards the coaches, towards the owners, because there's so much pressure on the players that, you know, when we had Gio, you know, he would he would embrace that and he would... I'm the captain and I'll, I'll take this one. You know, Bax did it 
to a point last year, but even he, he said to me, he's like, I'm like, Bax, you are the captain. He's like, no, I know-ish, but, you know, I don't have the C, so I can't do everything I want to. And it's such a fine line with that because in our room, we also, Bax is the captain, right? But for him, it's hard, right? When we see him as the captain, but he's not the captain. And I feel like in a Canadian market, you really do need one. And, you know, if it's me, if it's Weeks, if it's Bax, Johnny, whatever, whoever it is, it's it's going to be the right call and it's going to be the right, step for our franchise to take the next step okay last one for me how are you doing like good. just physically after yeah. everything i'm good i took um i took five weeks off after a season uh, i just honestly didn't really do anything we, we me and the family went to uh, to spain just to get away from everything from all the chaos and stuff and uh and so i'm doing well now it's just um you know it's kind of the talking point of the summer, right? When I see my friends and family, everyone always asks me how I'm doing, but I'm, I'm doing okay and I'm fine now and I'm, I'm ready to embrace the chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Never a dull moment no. at any Canadian hockey market. And exactly. Listen, you're, uh, you, you wear it well and you're very well cut out for it. Best of luck with the Flames this year. I, I think it's going to be one of the more interesting teams to follow. Thanks so much. Me too. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco Boat, really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Welcome back. Elliot, some sad notes around the hockey world. Uh, I want to talk about Rick Jenneret. I want to talk about Bobby Bond. And also want to talk about the passing at the age of 21 of Rodion Amaroff. I mean, that one's so heartbreaking. Um, I really don't know what to say about it. You know, I had a chance to interview him right after the diagnosis. And he was so positive. His whole life. Yeah, very positive. I know that there were some people in the Toronto organization, whenever a report would come out that Amarov was doing well, it was not easy for them because they just knew what the challenge was. And I think anyone who's been through it or has had a family member through it, they just knew what a challenge it was. And um, the agent, Dan Milstein, has talked a little bit about it and revealed some stories about it. And they are just so, so awful to read. I really don't know what to say other than it's a real damn shame. Yeah, such it, a it uh, really is skilled player and just a wonderful young man. Just a wonderful shouldn't be allowed to have great young man. Bobby Bond passes away at the age of eighty six. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Bond, who will forever be linked with you know scoring a Stanley Cup winner on a broken foot in nineteen sixty four. Um, you know, being let off the ice on a stretcher, the skate's not coming off. You come back in overtime and score the OT winner. I got a chance to talk to him a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And as tough as he was when he played, and make no mistake about it, this was the era when the Montreal Canadiens had the policeman, John Ferguson Sr., making sure that no one touched their guys. And the one guy 
that almost went out of his way to make sure that the Maple Leafs had some toughness to stand up to Ferguson. It was Bobby Bond. Like there are count, you know how fight collections at home on old VHS tapes and stuff. Mm-hmm. In so many of those old ones with the Maple Leafs, it was always Bonnet Ferguson, Bonnet Ferguson, Bonnet Ferguson. And such, I don't know if you had a chance to to, to meet him yep. or talk, but like such a nice man. Very nice man. Oh my goodness. What a nice gentleman. I hosted a golf tournament with him one year. And uh, the, the one thing that they said to me was, can you find something else to talk about besides the one goal? <laughs> and so I did. And actually, he said, you know, he really he really appreciated. Very nice man. You know, I would tell people to read Net Worth. Oh, yeah. Uh, the book about, you know, the business side of the NHL, the way it used to be. You know, I, I reread it not too long ago. And Bond, as great a player as he was, and he was a great player, and some of the legendary things he did, which we talked about, and and you talked about his, his toughness standing up to the, maybe the toughest player of the era. The other thing that he was very tough about was standing up for individual rights and, and player rights. And the stuff about how he went, to, like he challenged Gordie Howe on Gordie Howe's salary. One of the stories there was, you know, Gordie Howe, he asked Gordie Howe you know, how much his, his, his contract was and what he got for a signing bonus. I think Howe said like, oh, I got a Detroit Red Wings jacket. And Bobby Bond was like, are, are you kidding me? I think the story actually was, and maybe you're right, but I think that the, if I remember correctly... It was Gordie Howe said, there's no way you know how much I make. And people listening to this, you will recognize how these are delicate conversations because Gordie Howe's salary, they could argue nobody should make more than Gordie Howe. And if I was playing at the same time and you would, and Gordie Howe makes this, oh, well, I yeah. shouldn't be making more. And that was, you know, kind of happened. And not kind of happened, it did happen. And Bobby Bond almost guessed it. And apparently Gordie Howe was like, how did you guess that? And Bobby Bond said, because like Gordie Howe, in that book, Bobby Bond is one of the guys who opens up Gordie Howe's eyes. And, you know, it's it's interesting for me because I think it's such a tough balance because if somebody's happy where they are with what they're making, it's no one else's business. But I have also learned the responsibility of because, you know, guys told me, if you can, you have the responsibility to raise the bar for your fellow worker, your coworkers. How can you help them benefit? And I remember reading that book and rereading that book taught me a lot about that. Rick Jenneret mm-hmm. passes away at the age of 81. I can recall doing the Leafs Lunch radio show with Bill Waters years ago. And was that when you used to call the Canadians those stinking habs? Me and Jim Koshan. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember listening to you when you were doing that. I, I would just be driving and laughing my head off. It was, and we had Rick Jenneret on, and something that's always stuck with me. I introduced him as you know Rick Jenneret, the voice of the Buffalo Sabers, and he stopped and he said, "Ted Darling is the voice of the Buffalo Sabers." As great a broadcaster as Rick Jenneret was, and he was. Yeah. And as loved as Rick Jenneret was, and he was loved, mm-hmm. he never lost a sense of the broadcasters that came before him and who were the voices and who were the shoulders he was on. Now, everyone's on everyone else's shoulders. Mm-hmm. We all know how this works. 
But I, I just thought that like right away he wanted to go out of his way. And he was the voice of the Sabres. Yep. Like there's so many Sabres fans. You're gonna and it's not just the Mayday Gold or La 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 Fontaine, all of it. You're gonna associate big Sabres moments with that voice. I'll do it with Ted Darling because I grew up watching yes. Sabres and Ted Darling, to Rick Jenner's point, to me is the voice of the Buffalo Sabres. But I just thought that that was always a nice touch. The way that Rick Jenner, as great as he was, would go out of his way to point out Ted Darling. Like you, I think about Ted Darling with the Sabres because that's my age. But I don't think about it anymore. I think they're equals. Now, I'm sure there's people who say, I like Jenneret more than Darling or sure. a personal preference. But the one thing I always say to people is, I don't like when people say, and I've seen it happen in our business. I don't know if I want to broadcast this team because this team is associated with X person as a broadcaster. I had one guy say to me, he had a chance to work as a play-by-play guy on a team. And he goes, well, everybody, I don't want to say the teams, get obviously who I'm talking about. <laughs> but he said to me, like, everybody, like, I'm not going to be ever seen as the voice of this team. It'll always be that guy. And my answer to them was, you will never be as successful as you can be if that's your attitude. Like, there's always going to be someone better than you. There's always going to be, especially in our business, there's always going to be someone that other people, that some people like more than you. Because mm-hmm. our business is a subjective business. What one person likes about me, another person's going to hate about me. So I always said that's a stupid way to think. And the thing about Janaret is, you're right, Ted Darling was a legend in Buffalo, but now Rick Janaret is a legend in Buffalo too. The other thing too is there were a lot of stories about how, and I saw this firsthand, if Rick Janaret was sitting eating, it's not like you couldn't go near him. He was perfectly approachable. If you wanted to sit down at his table and maybe you weren't a big star in Buffalo like Janaret was, but he was very friendly. He always came over to say hi. Like he didn't carry himself with an air. But, man, he had great calls. The Sabres loved him. The fans loved him. I thought his stuff was hilarious. And, you know, that game last year, they had the big celebration for him. And at the end of the game, like, it was magic. It was magical, magical stuff. You know who else loved him? Who's that? The players. Yes. Because I thought about this when I heard the news that Jenneret had passed away. I thought about Brad May. And I thought about how... That moment, as great a moment as it was by Brad, you know, deking out those Boston Bruins players and scoring that goal, it was a great moment. It's forever going to have Rick Jenneret's voice attached to it. Like he gave Brad that moment, mm-hmm. right? It's the fans, absolutely. Players loved him. I've always thought about that. Like whose voice do you want attached to your big moments. Bob Cole's voice has been attached to a lot of great moments. Mm -hmm. And if you're a hockey player, you love that. Paul Henderson, 72, has Foster Hewitt's call attached to that moment forever. I always think about that. You know, your great moments, whose voice is attached to it? And I thought of Brad. That's fantastic. I, I agree with you. Condolences to the friends and the family of Rick Jenneret, Bobby Bond, and Rodion Amarov.
Okay, Elliot, proud to announce we have a new partner with us this year. It is Montana's. They are all over the thought line, or as we're calling it now, the Montana's thought line, Montana's Welcome Barbecue. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard, indeed. Glad to have you. Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. And we'll be doing uh, more interactive features every podcast. Um, thanks to our friends at Montana's. And in that spirit, we'll start with Mark in St. Louis. So he writes, just curious what Jeff's best puck doku score was over the summer. I could see him destroying that game in the morning, like those crazy kids finishing a Rubik's Cube in three seconds. Hope the summer was great, fellas. And if you wouldn't mind, a special shout out to my father-in-law, Joe. Hello, Joe. A Blues season ticket holder. Dig this, Elliot. Since the inaugural season of 1967. Father-in-law, Joe Take a bow. So for those that don't know, puck doku is sudoku, but for hockey. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I've never played. What? I know. It sounds so bizarre. You would think that I would be all over doing this all thing. Summer? I've kind of unplugged. I'm the loser still on Twitter every day. Last last <laughs> season. <laughs> right, well, act sorry. Yeah, Excuse me. I have not played puck doku. I probably should. But then I, whenever I think about playing it, I say to myself, if I get on this thing, there goes like an hour a day. So you haven't played, eh? I haven't. I will eventually. Have you played? Oh, yeah. I've played. Not every day. I've played a few times. But the way I do it is this, is you get a percentage score of how many people pick the player you pick. Yeah. Like the other day, I think it was New Jersey and Buffalo. And I picked Phil Russell and it was 0.1%. And I was so happy. Like that keeps me going. But if I'm playing and I pick a guy who gets over 10%, I just quit. If I can't get someone completely random, I have no desire to keep playing. I throw a temper tantrum and I stop. We have a new hockey hipster on the podcast now. I've I've officially transferred the mantle to you. If anybody comes in over 10%, I throw a temper tantrum and stop playing the game. Ah, You've had the beard to be the hipster. Why not just go the full? Uh, From Steve, hey, Jeff Elliott. Hope you guys are well. Love the show. My name is Steve. I'm a Canadian expat living in France at the moment. And pass the time by listening to your podcast. I'm a card carry. Oh, I like this. I'm a card carrying member of the Don't Bang on the Glass, You Idiot Club, <laughs> and also the Backward Skating Defenseman Club. So it's the off season, so I'd like to ask you a hypothetical question. This is interesting, Elliot. If you were to build your very own NHL team from scratch, and you had the choice between a centerman that would give you 150 points, keeping it simple, 75 goals, 75 assists, that's a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Or a defenseman that scores zero points, but whenever this player is on the ice, no goals are scored. Who are you taking to build a team around? For me, give me the defenseman all day. Thanks, Steve. Steve, I, I really appreciate that you listen to us overseas. And I hope this answer does not alienate you as a listener. But I think you're nuts. <laughs> Give me the guy who gets 150 points all day long. You're going to get a better chance to win with a player like that eventually. And the other thing is, Steve, you got to consider this. you got to be able to sell tickets. Mm-hmm. And the 150-point center is going to sell you tickets more than the zero-point-nothing-happens defenseman. If I'm Give me a 150-point t- center, I'll put a team around him. If I'm starting a team, if I'm running a team, and I have a chance to put a player on the ice for 30 minutes that'll guarantee that no goals are scored, I'll take that. 
Yeah, but you're not scoring any goals either. My default. Well, you have other players. It's not as if like that one center is, you know, oh, you know, so every game, every game's gonna be zero zero and we're gonna go to a shootout. Sure sounds like it. No, not all. It's like which one would you rather have? Yeah, you know what, Jeff? I, I default defense, so I will I will go with the, you with know the what defense this is proof that throws of, out for and 30 we're ending minutes. the pot on this. But I'm exciting and you're boring. <laughs> I just have a defense default. You know this about me. Whether it's drafts, whether it's trades, whether it's, you know, boring. emails from Steve. Boring. And with that, we'll wrap from mm -hmm. Stockholm. And we'll leave you with a Swedish musician that defines her solo project as a combination of her songwriting together with the sound of the band she's played with since 2019. Actually, all the music on today's podcast is by Swedish artists. Check out the show notes to find information. But back to our outro track here. Lucky Lowe's style of music sways between genres and always finds melodic pockets to share her carefully crafted lyrics. With her latest single, here's Lucky Lowe with Peak Valley. 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. Even if I blush to say it, I am sure to live this life with you. Yeah.